0: turn to Exodus chapter 34, if you would, this morning. We're on a series, we started last week, the series of, about forgiveness. Last week we saw Psalm 32, the joy of being forgiven. My, what David went through. And how he was able to press in and pray in and touch God. And he couldn't contain himself when he knew he had been forgiven. It will make you shout. It really, really will. In Exodus 34, Moses had prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me what you're made of. Show me your heart. Show me what's at the center Of your being. The Lord said, Okay, and he put him in a cleft of a rock and passed by him. And then in Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Who is this God who rescued Israel out of the bondage of Egypt? Who is this God that made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And who is this God that sent his own son? In the form of a human flesh. Let me tell you who He is. He's the Lord. He's the Lord God. Merciful. He's gracious. He's long suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth. Let me tell you who He is. He keeps mercy for thousands. And it is in His DNA, if God's got any of that. It's in His nature. It is the center of His heart to forgive iniquity transgression and sin that should make you shout that is his nature forgiveness is part of the declared nature of God do you realize that God doesn't have to be in the mood to forgive I should say that one again shouldn't I you don't have to God to get God in the mood. it's His nature. You might have to get your spouse in the mood to forgive you sometimes, but you don't have to get God in the mood because it is His essential heartbeat. it's what it makes his heart to tick. it's what beats his heart. It's every time it pumps, it's forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. that's his nature. aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad he's not like a heathen god, a lot like an idol out there, but his heart beats that word every time it pumps. It's forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. That's his nature. He doesn't have to be in the mood because it's the pumping of his heart. That's good news. That is good news. I don't have to earn it. All I have to do is ask for it. Listen to Psalm 86.5. It says, For you, Lord, you're good and you're ready to forgive. You are plenteous in mercy unto all that call on you. He's ready to forgive. Actually, the truth is, as we study the scripture, he's more eager to forgive us than we are to ask for it. My hope today in working through this is to enhance... Our sense of wonder at what God's done for us. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything today you haven't heard a thousand times. But you know what? May it increase our sense of wonder at the greatness and the compassion and the mercy and the nature of who our God is. Because I don't know about you, but I got a complex heart. Anybody else? The human heart is complex and, unfortunately, it's evil through and through. And what has God got to do in order to overcome the barriers that are in our own hearts? What's behind a lot of the stress, emotional breakdown, physical collapse, withdrawal from reality or self-destruction, these patterns that people live in, Last week we looked at David and we saw that he experienced all that stuff and his problem was unconfessed sin. It was guilt gnawing away at his heart, unconfessed sin. And even though he was a king and living in a palace, it didn't isolate, didn't shield him from the conflict of guilt. Instead of running to God, people create every imaginable help to get rid of guilt but run from God. People are dependent upon chemicals, chemical dependence. They're dependent upon pills. People go see psychologists. They get lost in alcohol. They get lost in, in, in uh, premarital sex or extramarital sex. But guilt is a destructive energy that destroys the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. It does. We do remember from last week the torture that David lived with when he had unconfessed Sin and guilt. What do you think the greatest need of the human heart is? What do you think? What's the greatest need for the human heart? What do you think it is? To be loved, to be accepted? What do you think it is? I tell you what I think it is is to be forgiven, because they know what they're carrying inside themselves. The great need is to be forgiven, to be released from its own corruption. But hallelujah, you should shout at this, there is an answer. There is an answer. God has made a way for you and I to be absolved from guilt, to be cleansed from stain, to be released from the shame, and to be delivered from the very power of sin. People who have unconfessed sin live with a load of guilt. That's true for the saint as well as it's true for the sinner. Confession's got to be up to date if forgiveness is going to be current. If undealt with, sin will affect our walk, our will, and our witness. It'll endanger your life, it'll weaken your love, and it will restrict your liberty. We've got to keep these things current. Fellowship with God is interrupted. There's nothing wrong with God's arm that he can't save. Prayers go unanswered, and uh, sometimes people even have to be chastised to be brought to their senses. All that you can find in the Bible. But we want to talk about forgiveness. Oh, it's a powerful thing. Last week I said we want to look at God's promise to forgive. We want to look at God's nature to forgive. We want to discover how God yearns to forgive, what it means to be forgiven. Uh, what it costs God to forgive us. How people should prepare themselves to be forgiven by God. What forgiveness does for us. What being free from condemnation and shame of our past means to us. How God will empower us from getting involved in any future involvement with sin. What the purpose of being forgiven is. And what it looks like to be forgiven. I don't know how long this series is going to take. But I tell you, it's good stuff. What a privilege that you and I can be free. The world suffers horribly from living with shame and guilt. And you and I in this room are free from it. Hallelujah! You don't have to go to a bottle, and you don't have to go get pills, and you don't have to be chemically dependent, and you don't have to be depressed, and you don't have to be sick. And, and because all a lot of that stuff is just ways of coping with shame and guilt. And Hallelujah, I'm free. I thought you'd be excited. Okay, put it this way: Hallelujah, you're free. Well. <laughs> I'm trying, I really am God's a forgiving God listen, sin is serious but it's no match for the grace of God I'll say that again sin is serious but it's no match for the grace of God that should make you shout God has so settled the question of our sin at the cross and He doesn't leave you and me to struggle under the weight of its guilt Moses said, God, I want to see your heart. I want to know what's pumping that heart of yours. I want to know. And a good thing that he did, because uh, Moses had to intercede for Israel several times. You know, there's a story in, in Numbers chapter 14 when they get to the edge of the promised land. And they have seen the power of God in dividing the Red Sea. And they've seen the manna provided in the wilderness. And they've seen that their, their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out. And they saw the constant mercy and the constant goodness of God. And then they get to the border of the promised land. And they send 12 spies in there. And 10 of them came back in spite of those 10 witnessing the grace of God. For all that time in the wilderness and the provision of God and the ability of God, they came back petrified because they said there's giants in the land and they discouraged all the people. Do you know how God felt when the people decided to cave into fear instead of paying attention to His goodness? Do you understand how pained and how hurt God was when they came to the edge of the promised land and said in spite of everything we've seen God do we don't know if we can trust him God was deeply pained Numbers chapter 14 actually says God got quite angry is this how people respond after all I've done to them? And he says to Moses, Moses, step aside. And he said this more than one, on more than one occasion. Moses, step aside. I've had it. I'm so hurt by this. An ability to trust me after everything I've done for them. I am so pained by this. Step aside. Do away with it. I'll start all over with you, Moses. And Moses said, God, you can't do that. Because you show me something about your nature. You can't do that. Because I learned on that revelation that day. That what pumps your heart. Is forgiveness. And God says. You're right. I'll forgive them. That is an amazing God. Their rejection of God's leadership. Is not beyond God's forgiveness. Forgiveness. All through that Old Testament, there's not a single story that is beyond the grasp of God's forgiving nature. That should make you shout. That is good news. You see, God can't violate His own essential nature. He is a forgiving God. But you and I have no idea of the magnitude of the cost that it involved God to forgive us. No concept. We really don't. Listen to Isaiah 55 7. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the right, unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the nature of our God. That's the pumping of his heart. Listen to Jeremiah 33 verse 8. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity whereby they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities whereby they have sinned, whereby they have transgressed against me. That's good news. Pardoned. Everything. Pardoned. Listen to Jeremiah 50 and verse 20. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel will be sought for, but you won't find it. The sins of Judah, but they will not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. That's good news. People are going to come looking for my history. You know what God says? Nobody will find it. Isn't that good? People are going to come hunting down my history. What a character he was. Good luck finding anything. Amen. Good luck finding anything. Because God has erased it. And what God has erased, no man can find. I stand before you vindicated. That's good news. I'll shout for myself if you don't shout for me. God's good. That's God's forgiving nature. That's who He is. That's what pumps His heart. Forgiveness pumps His heart and joy pumps our veins. Isn't that right? Amen. I mean, when Jesus came in the New Testament, that was His message. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer, forgive others as God has forgiven you when the paralytic was let down through the roof, he said, son, your sins be forgiven. He wasn't even asking for forgiveness. Son, your sins be forgiven you. The woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you anymore. It was the whole life beat of Jesus to pronounce the forgiveness of God. His life is going out on him at the cross and he says to the thief on the cross, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. This is his nature to show the forgiving nature of God. Listen, there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, listen, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Listen to the scripture, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Listen to the scripture, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Aren't you glad God's got a short memory? That he blots it all out, and he won't let anybody find it. This is good news. Over and over, the testimony of Scripture, that unfortunately, man who is burdened with guilt tends not to run to God, but from him. They don't run to God to find relief from their conscience and their pains. Now, Jeremiah got it right. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That word deceitful means you're being deceived. I want to tell you something. Your heart doesn't tell you the truth. It lies to you. The heart is deceitful. Above anything else that possibly could be deceitful, the human heart is the most deceitful thing in the universe. That's what that verse says. You and I need deliverance from the human heart. We really, really do. You know, when, as we saw last week, when King David finally got around to yielding to the conviction that he was under, he cried out for deliverance from his own deceitful heart. He cried out, create in me a clean heart. The word create is important. Because in Psalm 51, when he cried that out, renew a right spirit within me, create in me a clean heart is Genesis 1. Renew a right spirit in me is Genesis 2. The two creation stories you have at the beginning of your Bible. And David borrows from both of them, create in me a clean heart. And when you breathe into Adam the breath of life, renew a right spirit within me. And David understood that only a divine act of creation can change the human heart. Because nobody can do anything about it themselves. David had come face to face with himself, and he saw that while the heart of God was forgiveness, his heart was corrupt. His heart was in complete malfunction. He knew that God wanted inner purity, that God wanted honesty, he wanted truth in the inward parts, but he himself was full of corruption. God, you've got to change my heart. You've got to change my heart. And I can't do it. And it's going to take an act of creation to do it. It's not within my power. 1 John three four says, sin is the transgression of the law. Let's talk about law for a second because transgressions means you are breaking the laws of God. Sin is the transgression of the law. How many want to be free? How many are glad you live in a free country? But there's no such thing as freedom without laws. Without laws, you're in chaos. Without rules, it's it's nonsense. It's just silliness. I mean... Like Without regulations or rules or laws, there's no such a thing as freedom. It's just chaos and it's dangerous. Imagine everybody's free to drive a car, whether you're qualified to or not. Imagine you can drive on any side of the road you want. Now, in Africa, they do that sometimes. You know, uh, laws are necessary for freedom and safety. When you speak an unkind word, you can't unspeak it. Isn't that the truth? When you speak an unkind word, it's gone. You can't unspeak it. Oh, I take that back. Too late. You've done your damage. The only thing you can do is ask for forgiveness. And if forgiveness doesn't happen, the relationship is strained. And if it's not dealt with, a minor offense becomes a major hurdle between two people. Forgiveness has to be sought, asked for and received to clean the relationship. You just don't pretend it didn't happen. I don't know about you, but I am determined never, never, ever, ever, ever in our church history ever let an issue be swept under a carpet. It ain't going to happen. Never. Is something going to be left undealt with and swept under a carpet? Never. Why? Because it brings destruction later. There's only one way, and that's for people to forgive one another and deal with it. Amen? Are you with me? You can't unspeak unkind words. You have to look for forgiveness, it has to be a reconciliation. So we need these rules, we need the laws. But for a law to be effective, there has to be sufficient deterrent to break in them. Otherwise, they are unenforceable suggestions. Make no mistake, God deals with sin severely. Because without God's intervention, without dealing with things, it always leads to death. And man is destroyed because of guilt. It destroys him. So the purpose of the law is not to restrict or to ruin us. It's to regulate. If we follow God's laws, you're brought into fruitfulness. If you follow God's laws, our relationships are harmonious. We are productive people. We need the laws to guide us in the proper use of our bodies, our minds, and our souls. Lawlessness only brings ruin, but there's something in the human heart that hates being under law that hates being under authority? What is it in the human heart that just doesn't want to submit? What is it? Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. What is it that we want to have this instinct to be independent, to do things our own way, and to disregard how things should be? There's a word for that. Can you guess what it is? Stubborn, independence. I mean, you can put in your own word if you like, but it's instinct within the human heart. And it's that very nature that sent Jesus to the cross. That has to be overcome in you and in me. The perversity in our heart is so great that the Bible has a really hard time describing it. Sin is complex and it affects our whole inner nature. And it causes us to violate the very presence of God. I'm going to give you seven, I think it is, I have seven Hebrew words to describe the human heart. Not a nice picture. But God has got to overcome all of these things to make me free. I've got to overcome all of these things. The first Hebrew word is... Aven or Aven, I don't know how to pronounce these things, but AVEN if you want to write it down. And it's often translated as wicked or iniquity. It refers to emptiness, hollowness, just the wind, a vapor, nothingness, vanity. It means it lacks substance, it lacks meaning, it lacks purpose. You're chasing an, a mirage in the desert. You're looking for a shadow in the night. That's what sin does. It tempts you. It lures you. It makes promises to you. You're going to feel great if you give yourself to this thing. But in the end, you discover that you're hollow, empty, and it's unreal. Anybody had that experience? It's hollow, it's empty, and it's unreal. Ask anybody who's ever been addicted to anything. The fact is they are left unfulfilled, still in addiction and have a whole pile of guilt that they need to be delivered from. There's a Hebrew word, Avan, that describes that side of sin. There's another Hebrew word, Maal, M-A-A-L, if you're writing it down. And that emphasizes the treachery of sin. The unfaithfulness it produces. It means that you are breaching trust. A a trespass, a transgression. It means that you have been trusted with something and you've abused the trust that has been committed to you. It's the abuse of a husband towards a wife or a wife towards a husband or a parent to a child or a leader to his country. It means you're abusing the trust. You're violating and you're hurting people because you're not handling what's trusted to you correctly. And you're abusing everybody around you. It's moral badness. It means you're causing harm to other people because you're abusing the trust that's been given to you. The heart needs to be free from that as well. That's what's in the human heart. It needs to be free from the guilt inflicted upon it by knowing you've abused trust. Another Hebrew word is Rasha, R-A-S-H-A, if you want to write that one. And that means in the human heart, there is perpetual upheaval. There is a continuous agitation that is taking place in the heart. It means the sinner is being constantly tossed to and fro. It means they live in a constant state of confusion, and they tend to upset everything around them. You ever experienced that in your house? is one person in your house is out of sorts, the whole house is out of sorts? I won't ask you to raise your hands. But it means there's this constant sense of turmoil and agitation that just rubs off on everything around you. It says, the wicked are like the waves of the sea, Isaiah says. That there's no rest, but there's a constant pounding of the surf. There's an inner turmoil that can't be stopped any more than the waves of the sea can be forced to cease. Something's fermenting on the inside. It's like yeast causing the dough to rise. It means everything you touch is brought into the state of agitation because you're in turmoil on the inside of yourself. That means there's no peace in your home if you're in this state. It means the pounding of the wickedness is affecting everybody around you within range and you have no ability to stop it in your own heart. God needs to free me from my own heart. There's another word, raw, R-A, if you want to write that one down, to describe what sin does in the human heart. It refers to evil, to calamity, to grief, to distress, to sorrow, to trouble, to wretchedness. It means you bring injury to other people. It means you are breaking up that which is good. One of the most inconspicuous features of ungodly people is how their actions injure everybody around them, especially people who are supposed to be close to them. It means that agitation in you is bringing harm to other people. Nahum, chapter 2 and verse 1, describes it this way. You dash into pieces whatever is brought before you. Dash into pieces what is brought before you. In other words, it destroys everything around you. Evil has its own consequences. Even the good things in your life end up dashed into pieces because there's something wrong with the human heart. I need forgiveness. I need freedom from that. I need a a salvation that delivers that out of me. You know, even after you and I have forgiveness, we have to realize that there's consequences. You might be forgiven, but a pregnant woman doesn't get unpregnant. Life is complicated. And some of our actions, we can be forgiven, but it complicates life for years to come. If you murdered somebody and you're forgiven, the person's still dead. There's consequences. Marriages can be broken, and even though you be forgiven, may not be bended because a person can't overcome that trust has been violated. A broken body, due to a lifestyle, may not come back to health, even though you're forgiven. Financial obligations that you create with your lifestyle are still there after you are forgiven. You see, it dashes in pieces. Everything around us. We need to be delivered. Our heart needs to be delivered from that kind of stuff. The forgiveness of our destructive behavior may not bring about healing for the people we've abused. We've hurt them. It's done. So if sin is so destructive, if this describes what's in the human heart, could you answer me a simple question, why do people continue to sin? Why? Why? Why do people do it? People have intellectual ability. They may understand that they're destroying everything around them. So why don't they stop? And the answer in the Bible is simple. Man hasn't got the ability, the moral ability to stop. He knows what to do, but hasn't got the power to do it. He knows what he shouldn't do, and that's what he enjoys doing. It's the corruption inside the human heart. Even though he knows better, they still go ahead with these activities, injuring themselves and everybody around them anyway. They know better, but they do it. Why? Because there's something in the human heart that needs to be changed. We can grasp the consequences of sin, but that doesn't stop us from going ahead with it anyway. It just simply doesn't. And the Bible has another Hebrew word to describe that. That word is pasha, P A S H A, if you want to know how to spell that. What that means is the human heart refuses to be subject to rightful authority. It means that the human heart rebels and wants to be independent. We don't want to be told what to do, it is defiance, and we don't care what harm we do other people or what it costs other people. To be near us. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That is built into the DNA of a corrupt heart. That is there. So, how do we get free of this? Are we seeing the problem that God's got to overcome? Are we seeing the magnitude of what God has to deal with? with what forgiveness has got to all include? I need deliverance from all of this stuff. You know, it's a good thing to be free from it. Because nobody wants to live a life that is destructive to other people. Do we? Of course not. But the fact is, there's no deterrent strong enough to stop this principle at work in our hearts. No revelation of the consequences is vivid enough to stop a sinner from sinning. The fact is that rebellion has complete sway over a soul from which there is absolutely no escape. If God doesn't do a supernatural act of recreation, we're hopeless. Amen? If God doesn't do a supernatural act of recreation, we're hopeless. It's not within my power to change my heart or anybody else's heart. It has to take a supernatural act of creation. You see, when a person sins for the first time, There's usually a deep sense of guilt, and the conscience is panged. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be doing that. But after you do it more than once, and twice, and three times, and four times, and five times, you know, and God didn't strike you dead, um, the sense of guilt seems to get less, and I can get away with this. I can get away with this. And it makes further sinning easier. There's another Hebrew word to describe that in the human heart. Ava, A-V-A-H, if you want to take notes. There's something else that described in the human heart there. It means that something has now become bent, and it's become crooked. You're not straight anymore. It's lusting after, it's coveting perversely, but you never become satisfied. The more you sin to get satisfaction, the less satisfaction you get, and the more you have to sin to try to achieve the same sense of satisfaction, which you don't get. And it just gets increasing and increasing, and increasing, till so you've lost all sense of, of conscience, and you're just given over to a life of, of destruction and your actions are hurting a lot of people around you as well, and there's just no deliverance. But the fact is the human heart is ended up twisted, bent, deformed, and it's perverted. That's what's inside the human heart? What barriers God has got to overcome in the human heart? What is this empty, treacherous thing that violates trust and tosses us confusion, breaks up and ruins lives all around us, that revolts against authority and makes our lives crooked? There's another Hebrew word to describe it. It's the word chatha, C-H-A-T-H-A. And it means sin, it means you've missed the mark. It means you've come short of the purpose for which your life had when God created you. It means you're not excelling to the degree for which God caused, created you to excel. It means that your abilities are misdirected instead of utilized. You're using your wrong willy. It means that what could be for your life never happens and it never transpires and you miss out God's potential in your life. You've been led astray. It means the capable student drops out of school. It means a concert pianist wastes his time in mindless television. You're missing the mark and the purpose of your life. It means you're an archer but shooting instead of shooting at the the, uh, the bullseye, you're aiming at the ground. That is in the human heart. Boy, there's a pile of things in the human heart that need to be overcome, isn't there? This is how the Bible describes the human heart. That's just Old Testament. Do you want to hear any New Testament stuff? The New Testament describes it the same way. It means you're missing the mark. It means... You throw the spear forward, but it never reaches the goal. It just smashes into the ground. It means you missed the road that you should be traveling. You're failing in your plan. It means you're frustrated in your purpose. It's more than just wrongdoing that people have done. But there is a malignant, powerful force inside the human heart that drives all of these things. It's called sin. We need to be delivered from it. And when God says, I'm going to come up with something to forgive people of their sin, these are all the problems that God says, I've got to do something that's all going to overcome all of this. The person needs to be set free from all of this. It means people are intentionally making the wrong turn when the road signs are very plain how they should go. But people continuously are making wrong turns. It's not just mere failure. You are not just falling down. You are intentionally deciding to fall down. That's what the Bible says is going on in the human heart. Sin, according to Romans 5 verse 12, is universal. Put it this way, sin is more common to man than fleas are to a dog. (laughs) Some dogs got lots of fleas. But sin is more common to the human heart than fleas are to a dog. Another thing it says in Romans is, is the authority of sin. It says everybody is under sin. It means you are subject to it. It says sin reigns in us. It has dominion. It means it takes people captive like a prisoner of war. And it's so strong in Romans 6 and Romans 5 and Romans 7. So strong that Paul has to say it actually has taken up resonance. It dwells within man. It's not just merely an outside force that we've got to cope with, but deep within. It is infiltrated. This attitude is infiltrated. The mind, the will, and the emotions. And it occupies a person at the center and the core of their being. They're not free people. They are being told what to do by this power that is within them. And there's no ability to refuse. There is an inner force within us that's so strong... That we are utterly powerless to disobey the impulse. Mentally, we understand we shouldn't do such stuff. And mentally, know we should be doing this and we should be doing that and we shouldn't be doing that. But we never get around to doing it. We're incapable. We need an act of God in the human heart. According to the scripture, the goal of sin is to bring us down to utter ruin. The last fruit of it is physical death and nobody can stop it. nobody can you, you can't paddle against the current of sin the, the current is too strong you're paddling the wrong way and it's going to take you over the falls and you're going over and you can't stop it no matter how much we want this is how the Bible describes what's going on in the human heart. If the Bible describes that sin is our moral enemy. It cost man the Garden of Eden. It separated the human race from fellowship with God. It forced man to earn his living by the sweat of his brow. It introduced discontent, murder, and hatred, and violence, jealousy, pain, sickness, and even death. It it clouds your mind full of lies. It numbs our sensitivity to God. It dulls hearing His voice. It blinds our eyes from seeing His kingdom. It blinds us to what we do to other people. And it desensitizes as to our common sense. That's what the Bible describes as in the human heart. And if I need forgiveness, I need something to happen that's going to take all of that and deal with it. Do we understand the greatness of the problem that God's dealing with? Wow. This is no small thing. I said earlier, sin is serious, but I'll say it again, but it's no challenge for the grace of God. Of God. It's no challenge. For the grace of God. Man has become so imbalanced. That we will break fellowship with one another. Separate families and separate friends. Needlessly. It's the destroyer of everything that is good. Is there an answer. To the corruptness of the human heart. After saying all this, what the Bible describes the human heart, I ask you again, what do you think the greatest need of the human heart is? After describing what it's like, what do you think its greatest need is? Well, oh, I need someone to love me. Everybody could love you and you still are a corruptible old fool. I need people to accept me. You can be accepted, and you're still a rebellious idiot. The greatest need of the human heart is to be forgiven and get all of this out of the system. And it takes an act of the creative power of God to make it happen. This is what God is dealing with when he wants to bring forgiveness to people. Is there an answer to this dilemma? Can we be delivered from the pursuit of things that are empty and hollow and meaningless? Can there be an end to this treachery of violating the trust that's been given to us? Can there be an end to this perpetual upheaval and agitation? Can something happen to me that's going to stop me dashing into pieces whatever is good? Can God do something to me to overcome my refusal to submit to authority? What can God do to make the crooked perverseness and make me straight again? How can I get rid of this complete tossing and confusion so that I never reach my God-given potential? Can I be delivered from missing the mark with my life? Never reaching what God wants me to do. Can I get free from this thing that exercises total dominion over me? That has made me a slave... That is intended to bring me down to utter complete ruin. Can I get free from this mortal enemy that has separated me from God Himself? Are you hope you're ready to shout? I hope you're ready to shout, because thankfully the answer is yes, yes. God has provided a complete. Answer for you and for me. this yes, will make a shout to know that God delivers me from the deceitfulness of my own heart. This is good news. God gives us an answer. It'll make a shout. It really will. He gave Jesus to the cross to handle the penalty of my sin. He has given me the Holy Spirit. As the answer that helps me deal with the power of sin. He will give me an answer to the the question of the presence of sin at the appearing of Jesus. But if I cry out to him, create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. As David did in Psalm 51. And you discover, as you prepare the heart in repentance before God, when you're honest with God, and you're truthful with God, and you don't hide anything from God, but your soul is bare before Him anyway, but you confess the bareness of your soul to Him, you don't run away, you deal with the issues, you submit to the authority of God, there is an answer. And that answer, He creates within you a clean heart. Listen to the scripture. I will take out of you that stony heart. Ezekiel 36.26 Now that's good news, folks. Because you just saw how bad the human heart was. And God says, tell you what. I will take it out. And I'm going to put a new heart in. He's just not going to repair it. He exchanges it. And then he says, now I'm going to put my spirit in you. My laws, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with my laws. I'm going to buy the pen of my spirit on a brand new heart. I'm going to take the pen of the Holy Spirit... And I'm going to write those inside your heart so they become your instinctive nature. It's not going to be your desire to do evil. It's going to be in your desire to do good. And when your heart begins to pump, it's going to go, good, good, good. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. God has done an act of creation because before it's, what can I dash in pieces and whose life can I ruin and I don't care who I hurt in the process. But now it's love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It pumps the laws of God in your heart. I'm glad for a new heart. Amen? I'm glad that He says I'll take the old one out. I'll give you A heart of flesh. I'll put my laws in it. This is good news. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad that forgiveness means that God's going to do this for you? Because He doesn't just say, Well, I forgive you. He says, I forgive you and I change you. Amen. So we don't just leave that continue to lead that old lifestyle. I forgive you and I change you. This is good news. Psalm 78:38 But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and didn't destroy them. Yes, many times he turned his anger away and thankfully did not stir up all his anger. Psalm 85, verses 2 and 3 You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your anger and you have turned yourself away from the fierceness of your anger. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Listen to these verses from Psalm 130. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who will stand? But, I like that word, but, I like the word but. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption, and He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. This is good news. God has provided something for me to get rid of all this out of my heart. The power of forgiveness. Amazing. But in order to do this, in order to do this operation, I hope you understand that the cost of getting this operation done. You know, if we had to pay money to get a heart transplant in a hospital... You know, they do that these days, heart transplants. If you had to pay for it, I really don't care to know the cost. I am sure it's more expensive than any of us can afford. And when God does a heart transplant in you and in me, do we have any idea of the outrageous price that he had to pay? To give us a heart transplant for free? Do we have any idea of what it cost him to provide this service? No man can afford it. But since God's nature, since when you hear his heart beat, it goes, forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Since that's what pumps his heart, that's his nature. God has to be true to his own nature. And even though he's a just God, and even though he does punish sin when it's not repented of, that Pompanova's heart demanded that he be true to his nature of keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What did it cost God to provide that operation? See you next week.